Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And I do want to remind you about our other podcast. Today, I'm highlighting The War. The War is the World War II podcast I did about 10 years ago, where we created a podcast that took you through the war from the pre-war era all the way through the war and into uh, aftermath of war through radio, whether it was news stories, comedy programs, dramas, essays. Much of the war came over radio, and we bring you it all over at thewar.greatdetectives.net. And you can find all of our podcasts over at the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio webpage at greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for this week's Yours Truly Johnny Dollar Serial. Now, as always, almost always, we will be bringing you episodes one and two today of the five-part serial. And then we will be bringing you episodes three through five on Friday. So if you want to listen to all five parts at once, you can go ahead and pause this episode and come back to it on Friday. But now, from September 3rd and 4th of 1956, it's The Curse of Kamashek Matter, Episodes 1 and 2. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Jimmy Sayer at Inner Allied Life, Johnny. Oh, hi, Jim. How are you? The way I feel now, the way I'm going to feel depends on you. Okay, let's have it. Remember a guy named King Tut? Egyptian mummy they dug out of a tomb full of treasure a few years ago. That's right. Well, don't tell me you held a policy on him now, Jim. (laughs) Seriously, now. You'll also remember there was supposed to be a curse on anybody who molested his tomb. Yeah, supposed to be. But, of course, anybody knows that stuff's a lot of malarkey. Is it? Isn't it? Better reserve judgment, Johnny, until you hear about the curse of Kamashek. Tonight... And every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To the Interallied Life Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Following is an account of expenditures during my investigation of the curse of Kamashek matter. Expense account item one, one dollar even. Taxi to the office of Interallied Life to talk with Jim Sayer. The conference was brief and not very enlightening. I'd much rather have you see Mr. Turnbull and get the story from him yourself. As I said in the beginning, he's a very important client. What's more to the point... He can tell you about it much better than I can. Jim, to coin a cliche, you're being just as clear as mud. Also, by the way, he specifically asked for you. Oh, how come? Well, it seems he liked the way you handled the Parkinson case a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah, Emily Parkinson, the widow who died. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. She was his sister. And, well, go down and see him, Johnny. I, I honestly can't tell you anything more than I already have about the thing. James, you have told me nothing. But he can, and you can pick up a nice fee on it. 
as a favor to me? No, for that nice fee. Jim promised to phone Eric Turnbull that I was on my way, and I ran of items two and three, $4.20, for a quick lunch and train fare to Stanford. There I was met by a chauffeured car and driven to Turnbull's house. Far out of the town on Birchbrook Road, it was set on one of the biggest, most beautifully landscaped pieces of property I'd ever seen. The fine old home looked as though it had stood there in all its straight-laced dignity for a hundred years, and stolid against the changing world would stand for another hundred. In sharp contrast, a lithe, clean Studebaker Golden Hawk was parked in the sweeping driveway at the front. Haskins, the chauffeur, had explained on the way that he doubled his butler, so I wasn't particularly surprised when he opened the door for me. Since he received a call about your coming, sir, you are to go right in while I take the motor car to the garage. Unless... He glanced at the Golden Hawk quickly back of me, then, having left the word unless hanging in midair, climbed back behind the wheel and drove off. Well, he said go right in. Inside, the house was a classic. From the tile-floored reception room with its walls of oak and the broad staircase leading to the second floor, I could look into the huge living room, finished in polished mahogany with a leaded glass window at one side and thick oriental rugs on the floor. A fireplace that seemed to take in a whole wall and fine mahogany furniture that glowed with a beautiful patina. Beyond that, I could see the library, golden and walnuts. And sitting at a broad desk was a man, his face red with anger, shaking his fist at a very attractive girl of 22 or 3 who stood before him, obviously distressed by what was going on. Don't call me Uncle Eric. I'm not your uncle now, and by heaven, if I have my way, I never will be. <clears throat> You're not married to him yet, my girl, and if I have anything to say about it, you... Oh. Oh. Mr. Dollar, isn't it? Yes, sir. Mr. Turnbull? Well, that's right. Come in, come in. And Dorothy, Mr. Dollar, and I wish to be alone. The girl stood there for a brief moment, looking at the man with an expression of utter futility in her face. Then, without so much as a glance at me, he turned and left by the door that I had just entered. Come in, Mr. Dollar. Come in, please. Thank you. I'm sorry about this. Somewhat embarrassing to you, I'm sure. But it's, well, it's something I'll have to tell you about later. Sit down, please. Thanks. May I pour you a drink? I must confess, I feel I could use one at the moment. No, no thanks, Mr. Turnbull. I uh, think I'll pass it. I suppose it is a little early, but, well, good luck. Now, Jim Sayer, an inner ally, tells me you have an insurance problem. Actually, not yet. I'll be perfectly frank with you, Mr. Dollar. Please do. I'm asking you to help me not as an insurance investigator, but as a man I feel I can trust. <laughs> But you don't really know me, Mr. Turnbull. Oh, on the contrary, I do very well. As a result of your handling of the case of my widowed sister, Emily, when she died a few years ago. As a matter of fact, you and I met very briefly at the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, Emily Parkinson. The case involved a lot of phony relatives who filed claims on her estate. Yes, that's right. And your clever trapping of those false claimants and their cheap attempts to gain part of Emily's fortune was... I understand that several of them are still serving sentences. Yeah, I believe so. Which is quite what they deserve. If there's anything I detest in this world, it's dishonesty. Well, I, uh, I guess most of us feel that way about it. Of course we do, if we have any shred of human dignity. Yeah. But now, uh, what is your problem? It uh, concerns Donald, uh, Emily's son, my nephew. I had expected him to arrive here before you, but suppose I go ahead anyway. Go ahead. Well... When her husband died, Emily was left with a considerable estate and their only child, Donald. The uh, estate's worth nearly a million now. 
Mm-hmm. With not too many years ahead of us, she wasn't well. She had lavished everything on the boy, the best of private schools, travel to Europe, all the things that befit one of our social and financial status. Before she died, she carefully put all of the money into a trust for Donald, a rather unique arrangement which I control until he reaches the age of 30. What would happen if he didn't survive you? Would it all pass to you? Uh, uh, yes, yes. But of course, I have no particular need of it. When I sold Turnbull Enterprises some years ago, I, I think you can see that I'm pretty well fixed investments, you know. Yeah. At uh, any rate, since his mother died, Donald has been living here with me in accordance with her request that I care for him. And I've been glad to do it, for I love the boy very dearly. How old is he, by the way? Uh, 25. He'll be 26 in October. And what's he doing for a living? Now, uh, that's the whole point. There's no need for him to work for a living, as you put it. But in college, against my better judgment, he majored in archaeology and Egyptology. Mm. What did you want him to study? <laughs> Business and finance, of course. Forgive me for being so blunt, Dollar, but I see no sense whatsoever in his taking the fortune that his father spent so many years building up and squandering it on a lot of... of... Oh, oh, Donald, come in, come in. I received word at the club you wish to see me, Uncle Larry. What is it this... <laughs> Oh. Mr. Donald, this is my nephew, Donald Cronin. How do you do, Mr. Hi, Donald? We've been talking about you, Donald. Oh? As a result of a newspaper item I just read, to the effect that you're preparing for another expedition. That's right, sir. I'm going to the ancient city of Thebes in Egypt. Egypt? Since my trip last fall, I've done a lot of reading and research in New York and London. I'm convinced I've located the ancient tomb of the pharaoh Kamashek. Advance party's already begun excavation. I'll join them there. Do you realize the cost of this, this thing? Uncle Eric, it promises to be one of the most important archaeological finds of the century. You mean it might be if I let you go? If you let me go? Uncle Eric, perhaps Mr. Dollar... Mr. Dollar can hear anything I have to say to you. You see, Dollar, we're finally getting to the point. Uh, yeah. Donald, I'll make no bones about it. I'm quite fed up with your wasting your time on these stupid, pointless expeditions. That's not the way the museum feels about them, sir. Well, that's the way I feel about oh, them. Oh, wait, sir, please. Uh, Donald, isn't that your collection for Yucatan that the museum recently acquired? Why, yes, sir. My party and I were able to... I'm sure we don't care about your party and you. You're not only wasting your time, but your money. The money your father struggled an entire lifetime to gain. That money was left for me to spend in any way I see fit. Provided your handling of it meets my approval. When you're 30 and the estate passes completely into your hands, you can do anything you like with it. Buy the Brooklyn Bridge if you want. You probably will. But until then, I am legally in control of it. And now, finally, I have every intention of exercising that control. At least to the extent of seeing you don't squander any more of it on these foolhardy expeditions. I take it you've made several, Donald. Yes, sir, and he's opposed me in all of them. Because sooner or later, you've got to learn that as the wealthy son of a family, it's up to you to carry on the tradition that's been set for you. To increase the fortune that's part of your family name. Build even greater financial power. Not to throw it away. Do you call my contributions to science and history a waste of money? Oh, now look, my boy. There's nothing selfish about my attitude in this matter. I'm thinking only of you and your future. The family name that you alone are left to uphold. Well... Why don't you give up this asinine idea of going to Egypt? No, sir. What do you mean, no? Let me finish. There's no point in your saying any more, Uncle. I'm going to explore the tomb of Kamashek. Now, listen here, you I've young I've made Andre. all the arrangements, obtained the sponsorship of the museum, notified the universities that are interested in my work. I say you're not going. And I say I am, sir. You young fool. Don't you realize that I'm in a position to cut you off without a penny? If you think I care, Uncle Eric, you're crazy. Then by heaven, I will. So help me, Donald. I've tried to avoid this kind of situation, but you and your idiotic bullheadedness, your utter disregard for the responsibility and importance of your family, social status have made it inevitable. 
Now it's come in spite of all I've tried to do, and by heaven, I'll cut you off without a... Wait a minute. Donald, where are you going? Egypt. In the moment or two before Eric Turnbull recovered his poise enough to speak to me, my mind raced. This whole situation offered a big flock of wild possibilities. Obviously, the two were at sword points, had been for some time. Apparently, and I began to wonder about this, Turnbull had no need of Donald's money. Yet he seemed determined to keep him from spending it. And on what looked to me like a very worthy expedition. If Donald died, Turnbull had said, the estate would pass to him. Oh, and something else I wanted to find out about. The girl who'd been there when I arrived. But why? Why? Why did I want to know or need any answers? What could this whole affair possibly have meant to me? I'm no family counselor. I'm an... In- I guess I spoke that thought out loud. I'm an insurance investigator. Yes, Dollar. Which is another reason why I need your help in this affair. But I, uh, I just don't see it, Mr. I'm Turnbull. I'm afraid I must apologize for that little scene a moment ago. Well, there's no need to. It was interesting, to say the least. Well, we didn't touch on the one thing that I wanted you to know about. That girl, Dorothy Harkness, his so-called fiancé. Ah. Thanks to a generous allowance, plus fees from the museum and some of the universities, Donald's insured his life for $100,000. 50000 for the museum and a like amount for the girl. Through inter-allied? Yes. I'll put it to you bluntly. She has prodded him to go on these expeditions, and I believe she somehow hopes to engineer his death during this Kamashek project in order to collect on that policy. Do I make myself clear? If anything was clear about this situation, I certainly couldn't see it. More things had come flying at me from out of left field during the past half hour than I could cope with. And I wanted time to organize some kind of thinking. So I used a corny old device, glanced at my watch, said something about being late for an appointment back in Hartford. I apologized, promised to talk with him again tomorrow when there'd be more time. Haskins drove me back to the station and courteously waited until the train pulled in, then left. And it was then I noticed the little Studebaker Golden Hawk that I'd seen at the house pull up beside the platform, and the girl, Dorothy Harkness, jumped out and ran over to me. Mr. Dollar? I had to wait for Haskins to leave so he wouldn't see me. Oh? I must talk to you. Please call me. Here's the number. Is this about Donald? Yes. Because of the danger he's in. From Mr. Turnbull? No. And you must believe me. From the curse of Kamashek. Johnny Dollar. I have your call to Stanford, sir. Oh, thank you, operator. Hello? Oh, Mr. Dollar, I'm so glad you've called. Well, you seem pretty anxious to talk about something, Miss Harkness. I am, about Donald and his uncle, and Donald's plan for the expedition to Egypt. To dig up the remains of the old pharaoh Kamashek? Yes. Can you come over here to see me, please? Oh, when I talked to you on the station platform a while ago, you said something about the curse of Kamashek. Yes, Mr. Dollar. Isn't that nothing more nor less than superstition? No. Huh? I'm afraid that in this case, Mr. Dollar, it can mean nothing more nor less than murder. I'll take the first train. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Inter-Allied Life Insurance Company, Crutchfield Square, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, The Curse of Kamashek Matter. Expense account continued. Item 4, 320, cab to the station, train fare from Hartford to Stamford, and cab to the modest but attractive apartment of Dorothy Harkness. The short trip gave me time to think. Eric Turnbull, wealthy retired businessman, called me in on this case. Turnbull, uncle of young Donald Cronin, entirely in control of a large trust fund for the boy. Turnbull, who was determined to prevent him from making an expedition to the tomb of Kamashek, on the excuse that he suspected a plot against the boy's life. Engineered by Dorothy Harkness, who was not only Donald's fiancée, but a beneficiary of his $100,000 life policy. So a talk with Dorothy Harkness seemed very much in order. Oh, come in, Mr. Dollar. I'm so glad you were willing to come and talk with me. How are you, Miss Harkness? You make me sound so old. It's Dorothy. Won't you sit down? All right. Thank you. But before we go any further, Dorothy, I think you ought to understand that I'm an insurance investigator, and so oh, far... Oh, I know that. Donald told me his uncle was going to send for you. But there's been no claim file, no reason for one. I know. Mr. Turnbull does, well, kind of unusual things now and then, and I guess this is one of them. Unless he's trying to prevent whatever might cause a claim to be filed. Mr. Dollar, I don't know what Mr. Turnbull has told you about me, but I'm sure it wasn't good. I'm afraid we don't get along very well. Well, it's uh, pretty obvious he doesn't like your interest in his nephew, Donald. I've known Donald since school, Mr. Dollar, and we... We hope to get married. At least Donald does. Oh? Now, what about you? Uh, well, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> I got the impression from Mr. Turnbull you were doing a pretty good job of getting Donald into your clutches. But that isn't the way it is at all. We've been seeing a great deal of each other, and Donald has asked me to marry him. And I'm fond of him, Mr. Dollar, terribly fond of him. But so far as marriage is concerned, I... I'm not sure. What do you mean? I can't help wondering all the time if he isn't hoping to marry me just as a, well, as an escape from his uncle. Uh-huh. Would you marry him? If I were sure of, of him. You'd be sure of an awful lot of money, Dorothy. What? The minute he reached 30, that is. Mr. Turnbull has poisoned your mind, Mr. Dollar. What money Donald has or may have has nothing to do with it. That sort of thinking is filthy. I, um, I guess you mean that, don't you, Dorothy? Yes, I think I've loved Donald ever since my father brought him into the museum. Your father? Yes, he's curator of archaeology. Well, how does he feel about Donald and you? His only interest in Donald is in the money, the financial support he gives the museum. Oh. Since that's... mother died, he's become a grasping, self-centered old man whose only interest is in the museum. I see. So I don't live with him anymore. Well, then I take it he opposes any thought of your marrying Donald. He wants me to string him along for his money and scientific contributions. But Donald is making something of himself. Instead of wasting his life in idle luxury as Mr. Turnbull would have it. Or would he rather have Don increase the family fortune? No. No, just not spend it. That's all he cares about. So if anything should happen to Donald, there would be more left for Mr. Eric Turnbull. And that's why I called you. Because I'm afraid that if Donald does go on this expedition to Egypt, something will happen to him. Oh, now, wait a minute. Turnbull has objected strenuously to this latest expedition. You don't know them yet. Either of them. They're of the same stock, and they're both stubborn, determined, and willful, and his uncle is clever. Clever enough to play on this stubbornness. Capitalize on it. What's that supposed to mean? 
He knows that the surest way to keep Donald from doing something is to insist that he do it. It's always been that way. Are you sure you haven't been reading too much psychology? It's true. And in spite of Donald's academic maturity, he's almost like a child in some things. Emotional sometimes. That... That's another reason why I wonder if Donald really wants to marry me. If he loves me enough. Or if he's simply rebelling against his uncle. You feel, then, that Mr. Turnbull is opposing the expedition to be sure that Donald will make it? Yes. Because he doesn't quietly reason with Donald, talk things out. He shouts, he storms, he threatens. And that gets Don's back hair up, huh? It makes him more determined to go than ever. Wouldn't it do the same to you? <laughs> Maybe so. And I'm afraid that if he does go, he'll never come back. You honestly don't want him to go? No. Just what do you think might happen to him? This curse of Kamashek you mentioned? I think that would be the excuse for his uncle to have something happen to him. Well, what is this curse? Do you remember King Tutankhamun? Well, I remember hearing and reading something about him, old Egyptian pharaoh. His tomb had a curse on it, too. But because they believed it would yield important historical data and some of the treasure of those ancient dynasties, an expedition went to the Valley of the Kings and excavated it anyhow. You're really happy on this stuff, aren't you? Because of Donald's interest in it, I guess. But listen to me. One after another, people who were involved in that expedition died under very mysterious circumstances. Yeah, I remember. Even Lord Carnivan himself. They said that he died from the results of a mosquito bite and pneumonia. But the other deaths were not so easily explained away. Not even by able scientists and doctors. You believe in the curse of King Tut, then? And now the curse of Kamashek? No. Oh, I don't. But from what you just told there me... There have been too many other tombs, all bearing warnings, where the people who dug into them touched the treasures in them, even touched the remains of the kings, had no harm at all come to them. Well, then I'm afraid I don't see what you're driving at. This, Johnny. Any mysterious death of someone who's explored one of these ancient tombs will be accepted as a result of the curse, don't you see? It's an open door to murder. You know something, to me it all sounds a little far-fetched. No. Because of Eric Turnbull... Because I'm sure he wants Donald out of the way. For his money. This terrible friction between them, this antagonism that's been building up for years. And it's reached a point where either one of them would be glad to see the other out of the way. But Eric Turnbull is the only one who's evil enough to do something about it. Well, I gotta admit, the sparks kind of flew between them when I saw them together. And don't forget it would be to his uncle's advantage if Donald were to die. He needs the money? Well, no, I guess he doesn't. Well, what about you? I'm doing all right at the museum. I'm earning enough to live on, and I'm happy in my work. Just the same as I understand it, you'd collect half of Donald's life policy. I hate you for even thinking about such a thing. I'd hoped you would help me save Donald's life. Funny, though, isn't it? Funny. Eric Turnbull is my employer in this case, if there really is a case. Because he's smart. He's clever. He's clever enough to know that calling you in would help cover up anything he might do. All right, look. Suppose Eric Turnbull did want, did plan to get rid of Donald. How? I don't know. But this I do know. And it's the thing that has scared me. On his last expedition, and he didn't realize it until afterwards, one of the men in his party, a man he'd selected himself, turned out to have been paid separately by Mr. Turnbull. Why not? He probably wanted somebody there to look after Donald without his knowing. Listen to me. This man caused a couple of accidents. At least they called them accidents that could have cost Donald his life. Oh, now, Dorothy, look. No, please. no. No, I can see that you don't believe anything I've told you. Dorothy, I think you're just building up something in your imagination. You don't doesn't... believe me. 
But at least do this. Remember, no matter what happens, remember what I've told you. Somebody was lying. That was a cinch. But who? And why? Unless one of them really was plotting against the life of Donald Cronin. I couldn't get it out of my head that at least Eric Turnbull didn't need whatever money would come from Donald's death. Dorothy Harkness, on the other hand, would gain what to her would be plenty. Sure, nearly a million would go to Turnbull, but that would mean much less to him than the 50,000 insurance would to her. Well, there seemed to be nothing more to say to her at the moment, so I left her, took a cab back to the station, that's item 5, 65 cents, and telephoned to the house on Birchbrook Road in the hope that Donald would be home and I'd have a chance to talk to him. Oh, Mr. Turnbull, uh, this is Johnny Dollar. Oh, splendid. Where are you? Well, I'm at the station, but I was calling to try and... Splendid. Haskins will drive the car down to meet you immediately. Well, uh, now... I knew that if you thought it over, you'd be willing to take on this case. Uh, yeah, sure. You just wait right there. Haskins will be along in a few minutes. Goodbye. Come in, Mr. Dollar. Well, thank you, but before we, uh, before we talk about this Sit down, thing... won't you? Now, from what I've been able to learn, Donald is planning to leave for Egypt immediately. I, uh, checked with a friend at the Explorers Club in New York where the boy's been staying these past few days. Oh, I thought he always stayed right here with you. Well, he does, except when he's preparing for an expedition. Then you are going to let him go. Well, how can I stop him without making him look foolish in the eyes of his colleagues? The museum, the universities are so interested in his work. Yes, I have to let him go. But with you beside him there... Oh, wait a minute. Of course, I'll expect you to be with him during the entire expedition. Well, now, look, I... Remember this, no expense is to be spared in the protection of my nephew's life. I uh, had to go down to New York to see David Wilt. He's my stockbroker, Harris Dillman Company. While I was there, I stopped at my bank and arranged to have some 5,000 in American Express Chavers checks ready for you. All you have to do is go down there and sign them, pick them up. If you need more, cable me. You don't waste any time, do you? I know Donald. He's very stubborn, determined, and willful. Hmm. In his present frame of mind, he might pack up and take off at a moment's notice. I want to be sure you're at his side. Okay, you're the boss. But, Mr. Turnbull... Yes? You still haven't told me why you think his life is in any more danger on this expedition than on any of the others he's undertaken. Because that girl, Dorothy Harkness, is smart, is clever... And because of something that happened on Donald's last expedition in Yucatan. Oh? He didn't realize it until afterwards. But one of the men in his party, a man he'd selected himself, turned out to be a friend of this Dorothy Harkness. Not 20 minutes ago, I heard exactly... Now listen to me. This man caused a couple of accidents. At least they called them accidents. That could have cost Donald his life. And Mr. Dollar, though lacking any proof, I am convinced he was put up to them by the beneficiary of his insurance policy. Dorothy Harkness. Did I say somebody was lying? Somebody had to be lying. And by now, that old feeling was beginning to come back to me. That hunch, whatever it is, that told me somebody was planning to kill Donald. Eric Turnbull? Dorothy Harkness? Who? Something told me I'd better get to Donald Cronin. But fast. Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, suddenly the reason for a carefully planned murder becomes crystal clear. And a race against death becomes a race for my own life. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, 
Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey's Transcribed in Hollywood. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote this week's story. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking. Welcome back. Well, over these first two episodes, we've gotten two different sides of the story. I think Dorothy's is probably the more interesting one and stands out because she seems to be coming at this different than any other character we've heard in the serials. Dorothy talks and presents her thinking as that of an educated and emotionally clear-headed woman whose opinion is informed by her understanding of psychology and human relations, even if she's relatively young. So she's a very distinct character. But the question is, is it she actually going to turn out to be telling the truth? And we'll have to wait uh, until Friday to find out. It certainly is a bit of an irregular a path for Johnny to enter the case, but wealthy insurance company clients can get some irregular service, as we have heard repeatedly in the course of the last few months. Well, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Joel. Joel has been one of our Patreon supporters since July of 2021, currently supporting the podcast at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Joel. And that will do it for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you're listening on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. All those great things that help YouTube channels to grow. We'll be back on Friday with the conclusion of this week's story, but join us back here tomorrow for Dangerous Assignment, where... You see, Mr. Mitchell, my company is interested in Forrester, too, in the work he's doing. We wouldn't want anything to happen to him. We're counting on him for some very valuable information. Oh? And we're willing to pay for it. Matter of fact, I'll have a check in my pocket for him, 2,000 pounds. Small bonus. And this information is in regard to... The hijacking of freight insured by our company. We handle a good many firms in this area, Mr. Mitchell, and the company's taking an awful beating in the past six months. The bosses have been on my neck, wanting me to do something about the situation. A job hanging by a thread? No, 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 not exactly. But it does make a chap look bad, doesn't it? Oh, I've had some luck. I've picked up a few operators, small fry, bush league pirates and the like. Forrester seems to be on the right trail now. He's after the big wheel. 
power behind a gigantic organization operating in the area. That's why I'm here. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash greatdetectives from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.